Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkopf. I am your host, and I am in Beijing, China. Also joining us from this part of the world is Anna Fifield of the Washington Post, who is currently in Tokyo. In Washington, D.C., we have Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University, and we have Ed Luce of the Financial Times. Hi, guys. Hi, David. Hi, David. Hi, hi David. All right. Um, let me start with you, Anna. First of all, welcome. Uh, it's great to have you on here. Uh, and in that kind of perverse American logic, you know, I'm thinking, well, we're both in Asia, so we might as well have you on. Um, <laughs> well, I'm honored to be here, David. Well, we're, 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 we're very glad to have you. And of course, there's a ton of news on the Koreas today and this week as we get closer to this uh, summit. And, and of course, you're uh, also responsible for covering the Koreas for the Post. Tell us a little bit about the significance of this high-level North Korean visit, which is the first in almost uh, two decades to the U.S. Right. I mean, this is really significant, the fact that the U.S. would welcome this particular man uh, over to New York on Wednesday. So his name is Kim Yong-chol. He has worked in North Korea's intelligence service for more than 30 years. Uh, he was most recently the spy chief, and he is thought to have actually been the mastermind behind this 2010 uh, torpedo attack on a South Korean uh, cor naval corvette that killed 46 sailors. And he is also directly sanctioned by the United States for his involvement in North Korea's nuclear program and its illicit activities. So this is not a guy that we could have imagined the U.S. welcoming even a few months ago. But he has emerged over this kind of rapprochement process of the last few months as a top aide to Kim Jong-un. He is very much at the forefront of these engagement efforts. He came to South Korea during the Olympics. He was there at the summit with South Korean President Moon Jae-in. Uh, and now he is going to New York, not to Washington, where we do expect him to meet with Mike Pompeo. You know, the rest of the details we don't know yet, but this shows just how much North Korea wants this and just how accommodating the United States is prepared to be. Wow, that's a very interesting take on it because it sounds to me like it shows just how desperately Donald Trump wants this uh, because this event was canceled a few days ago. As far as I know, it isn't actually formally back on, but... He then wrote this sort of desperate love note to the North Koreans saying, we broke up, but I really wish we were still going together and you're really cute and I'll take you any place you want to go and um, I'll buy you stuff. And, you know, and all of a sudden things seem to be going as they were before. Um, and 
you know, I, I couldn't it also be interpreted that the North Koreans see this as an opportunity to take advantage of a really, really eager American president? Well, I mean, you could look at it both ways. Lots of people said that the North Korean statement at the end of last week was almost groveling. Uh, and the statement that they made in response to that, uh, you know, teenage breakup letter um, and that they showed, they said that we were so, uh, you know, looking forward to talking to you and things that like echoing those statements back, I guess. So lots of people said that, you know, the North Koreans want this. They have dispatched people to talk to Americans in the DMZ and in Singapore and now this guy's going to Washington. So, I mean, I kind of feel a bit optimistic about this process because we can see that both sides want it and both sides are kind of pushing the boundaries to try to make it happen or try to find some common ground. And also both sides are read, uh, led by these, you know, strong personalistic leaders who uh, rule from the top down in many ways. So I think if any two can do this, it's these two. So that sounds like just unalloyed good news, Ed. Everything's fine. Uh, uh, it, it's it's all it's all fine, and we're we're cruising to June the twelfth in Singapore, where doubtless Anna will be. Um, and uh, yeah, Anna, were you were, Anna? Were you able to get your hotel room back? I did get my hotel room back. I'm all signed up. I'm almost packed and ready to go. Okay. All right. By Sorry. The, by the, by the way, I stayed a couple of weeks ago. I stayed at the uh, Marina Bay Sands, which is one of the sites where um, this summit might take place. And it's, as you know, Sheldon Adelson, a uh, grand casino hotel with an infinity pool to die for. So Trump should feel right at home there, as should Kim Jong un. Um, yeah, I, I, I totally defer to Anna's um, judgment on this um, and her sense of optimism. I mean, I think the one point I would make from this side, from the Washington end, is that both leaders uh, for sure want this summit to take place. But I don't think anybody working for President Trump really wants it to take place. And if, and if they do want it to take place, they want it, they want it to take place at a far later date than June the 12th to give the administration and Mike Pompeo time to pre-negotiate at least some basic logistics about, you know, what, what North Korea possesses, where its sites are, what its assets are, and uh, what a, a gradual process of denuclearization would look like. Because their great fear, I think, uh, more than justified, is that Trump will um, be seduced by the teenage uh, atmospherics around this into agreeing um, a massive PR coup for Kim Jong-un, that he meets the American president, that he is legitimized as um, a, a, a nuclear power, um, the head of a nuclear power, and that the process then of relaxing the economic um, grip on North Korea then becomes inevitably um, set, set in, in, in train, uh, whereas the denuclearization stuff, that's just kicked down the road until late. And so I think that's the John Bolton. You know, I don't normally have any sympathies for the Bolton worldview, <laughs> but I think Bolton is reading Trump absolutely correctly on this. And the rest of the White House is terrified um, that, 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 that that's what's going to happen. Well, it does leave me with one question, Ed, and that is, did you use the infinity pool? No, and uh, Anna was asking me that earlier. There were just so many people in it uh, that, you know, I, I felt there wasn't space for me to... <laughs> Even to, in an infinity pool, Ed? 
even, even, <laughs> even in a pool without end or boundary. Uh, I, I didn't have the, the wit to, to practice my Victorian breaststroke, which I, I like to um, I like to indulge every now and then. So, and I didn't go to the casino either. So, you know, I'm, I'm a complete loser. Well, I just love, I love the idea that Sheldon Adelson wins at everything. You know, I mean, the Iran deal gets blown up. It's good for Adelson. Uh, you know, the Jerusalem embassy happens. It's good for Adelson. There's a negotiation with North Korea. It's good for 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 Adelson. Um, it's it. You know, it's a, I guess it's a good thing to give Donald Trump that much money. Um, uh, Rosa, this you know, I know that you know you cling to a uh, pessimistic worldview, um, like, like uh, uh, you know, for, for, for dear life. And yet, it uh, <laughs> looks, looks like we're heading for a deal here. Um, I, well, I think Ed articulated the, the doom and gloom version of the good news, um, which is that, yeah, I, I, it's entirely possible that we'll get a deal. But I think that there are a lot of reasons to think that it will, in fact, be a not very good deal from for the United States. It will be one that will allow Trump to claim victory, um, but it won't necessarily be the type of deal that we should be looking for. It's still, it's still probably, frankly, better than nothing, you know? Um, well, that's, but- a, that's an interesting, I mean, that's an interesting question. First of all, um, uh, t- t- you know, let's, let's, why don't we talk a little bit about what it might be like? What do, what do you think might be part of the deal, Rosa? We'll start with you and work our way around. So I'm the wrong person to ask because I am not an expert on either North Korea or nukes, and and I think Anna is more likely to be able to offer granularity on this. But, but you know, I, I think that in in, in a general sense, uh, precisely because we haven't given ourselves that much time to prepare, we're still gathering. I'm sure that our intelligence agencies are feverishly trying to figure out what do we know, you know, where are things. We know we know some, but we don't know as much as we would like to know. Uh, in order to figure out what should we actually be asking for, what verification mechanisms should we be trying to structure into any kind of deal, uh, you know, what what is good enough and what is not good enough. And, I, you know, my fear, as Ed says, is that we're going to go into this among other things, not quite knowing the answers to those questions, and that Trump, seduced by the prospect of Nobel Prizes and infinity pools and you name it, uh, will end up coming up with something where he declares victory and we all go home, but it's not really victorious. It's not really, you know, a big improvement on the current situation. And I'm actually, as I said, um, in a departure from my usual doom and gloom, I'm inclined to think that Anything that averts the likelihood of an overt military conflict, which a few short months ago was seeming quite possible, is probably a good thing. And that North Korea is not quite as crazy as we sometimes imagine it is, at least when it comes to global affairs. If Obviously, it is both crazy and fairly evil when it comes to internal affairs. Um, so, so, so in that sense, you know, a bad deal may be OK. A bad deal may be better than no deal. But but. Uh, you know, Trump's relationship with the truth, as we know, is tenuous at best. And I think it's entirely possible that even a bad deal will either Trump will genuinely and not realize it's a bad deal or he will realize and not care and simply claim it's a great deal. Well, let's let's take some component parts of it. Um, Anna, there have been a number of reports in, you know, newspapers in, you know, your neck of the woods that there are discussions about 
relocating North Korean nuclear warheads outside of North Korea. In other words, shipping them out of the country as a way of getting, you know, getting to this goal of denuclearization. Uh, they haven't been uh, repeated by the North Koreans, um, but let's just take that. I mean, the core issue, according to the U.S., is denuclearization. How denuclearized do you think our denuclearization is going to be? Well, I mean, that is the crux of the problem, isn't it? And just, you know, before you paint me as all Pollyanna over here, uh, I should just clarify, I'm optimistic about the summit actually happening. I think it's going to happen. I am not optimistic about what will come out of it at all. I mean, there is no way that Kim Jong-un, who spent, you know, so much effort and so much of his country's scarce resources on this nuclear program, and who needs it for his own legitimacy and his security, is going to give the whole thing up. Absolutely no way. Uh, so this U.S. insistence on, on like CVID, complete, verifiable and irreversible denuclearization, or as Pompeo has been talking about it recently, PVID, making it permanent, I mean, that is completely unfeasible from a North Korean point of view. So I think what we'll get from this summit is some kind of vague, you know, elevated statement from the two leaders to walk, work towards some you know, nebulous goal, and they will kick it over to their officials to try and work out some of it. But I think, I mean, to pick up on Rose's point about we are definitely in a much better situation where we're talking about having talks now rather than talking about giving North Korea a bloody nose. Like at the end of last year, the prospect of military action was really kind of palpable uh, in this part of the world. So the fact that they're even on this process is a good thing. Um, I could see Kim Jong-un agreeing to some kind of deal where, I mean, say maybe he'll give up a few warheads and a few of these intercontinental ballistic missiles. So that would be a gesture. It would be something that Trump could chalk up as a victory, but it would not in any way, you know, remove North Korea's ability to produce more of these missiles. And, you know, maybe they have maybe 60 nuclear warheads. They could give up 20 and still have 40 to spare. So it's just kind of where is the threshold that, you know, the, the sweet spot in between the two that they could agree to. Right. Well, you know, and I, Ed, I think that, you know, Trump is going to want a big victory immediately. I, you know, because although every expert in the world will tell you it's going to take months or years to negotiate a good deal or to implement a good deal, he's going to want a good deal immediately, not because he gives one, you know, rat's ass about the Koreas but because he wants to distract from his political problems at home and do so in a way that has an implication for the, the midterm elections, which are the only real existential issues he cares about, Mueller mm -hmm. and the midterm. And so, you know, if, if that's the case, what do you think he can put on the board right off the bat that will allow him to say, Nobel Prize, here I come, Mueller, stay away, I am a peacemaker um, and, uh, and you know, you well, know, have a triumphant run to the midterms. Well, so this is where I think, you know, the Bolton um, National Security Council uh, and indeed Pentagon fear would, would come into, uh, come in, come into it because, you know, Trump is, 
uh, it, it can if he can get a, a, an end to the war, no longer an armistice, a 1953 armistice, but a, a permanent peace. If he can sign, uh, declare, tweet peace uh, on the Korean mm-hmm. Peninsula, um, and then pave the way um, for the drawdown of American troops um, from, from from Korea, uh, that's exactly what he promised to deliver in the election. Um, and that's exactly the kinds of kind of thing he would tout, um, you know, in the lead up to a midterm elections. I promised America first to get American troops out of um, foreign entanglements to have foreigners pay more, uh, pay more for it. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I think that's pretty simply a bad summit is exactly what Trump can turn into good politics. It should be mentioned, though, um, that Mike Pompeo you know, who has political ambitions of his own, you know, it's got to get a better deal out of North Korea, which Anna has just sort of indicated is going to be impossible um, than the one they've just walked away from Iran, the Iran nuclear deal. Now, remember, the Iran nuclear deal, Iran agreed to ship out 97% of its enriched uranium from the country. Um, so we've got to have 97.1% or more of Korea's enriched uranium and plutonium uh, shipped out of the country for, um, by that measure, um, America to justify having pulled out of Iran yet struck a deal with North Korea. Clearly, as, as Anna's laid out, that's going to be absolutely impossible. Uh, I think the one thing Trump has going for him uh, on, on, uh, for this summit is that Kim Jong-un's 34. Uh, he's, gonna, he's planning to be in power till he's older than Trump is now. And he's not going to do that. Um, you know, people can't eat nuclear weapons. Um, so you know, the incentive of opening up, of China re- relaxing its sanctions, of, uh, of, of North Korea getting massive South Korean and Chinese and maybe Japanese investment is a huge incentive and used skillfully you might be able to get further with uh, uh, eating into North Korea's nuclear um, program than than otherwise. But skillfully and Trump are two words I don't normally use together. <laughs> um, well, yeah, there, 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 there is that. Um, uh, I mean, in fact, Rosa, you know, we're going to this negotiation with a kind of you know, giant impulse engine at the center of it and a dysfunctional policy process around it. Um, And, uh, you know, we've seen how that's, you know, produced these spasms here. Um, uh, First of all, Anna, how long is this thing supposed to last? Do we have some idea of how many days it'll last? Um, It's scheduled for one day with the possibility of going on for a second day. Okay. So in that amount of time, Rosa, presumably everything's got to be pre-cooked beforehand, right? Or not, right? I mean, that's not the Trump style. Trump doesn't like preparation. He doesn't read things anyway. He doesn't listen to people anyway. So it's not particularly clear that as a negotiator, he himself gains anything through more time for preparation, since he's going to wing it regardless. Um, You know, (laughs) and here's what really surprises me in some ways. I I was thinking this this morning as I looked at Trump's latest batch of tweets. And this morning he's back on, you know, crooked Hillary and the 13 angry Democrats. I can't can't figure out who exactly these 13 people. I guess they're Mueller's 13 angry Democrats, supposedly, you know, how they are, how they are are meddling in the midterm elections. And um, 
it's so out of touch with reality, right? It's, it's nuts. It's conspiracy theory. It has no actual link to facts. He just says whatever he feels like saying. And, and an astonishing number of Americans appear perfectly content to take what he says at face value and think, well, if he says that this happened, it must be true, you know, that the FBI was infiltrating his campaign to swing the election to Hillary, that, you know, Mueller is trying to swing the midterm elections, et cetera, then it must be true. So, so that then raises the interesting question about North Korea, which is what does he even care if there's a summit or not? Why doesn't he just tweet out, you know, I have reached a deal with North Korea? You know, it's a great deal and go home. I mean, why bother with why even bother with doing anything? Uh, is the only real remaining question about Donald Trump, given given <laughs> given everything. Yeah, well, I'm right. I mean, it, it, since he's willing to lie about everything, he could lie about this. Presumably, and that would save so much time and money. Nobody has to have a summit. Well, that's true, we but presumably there are other people, other people involved, and they might have a a, a different view or take on this. That clearly uh, makes no difference to him. Well, it it does in most things, but but you know I I in in this particular case, um, Anna, one of the interested parties and in the stop that the North Korean official you referred to earlier, Mr. Kim, made en route to the United States was in here in the People's Republic of China, and the Chinese have played particularly in the past few weeks a very active role in consulting with the North Koreans on this thing. Um, I, I think because they both see an opportunity to negotiate away some of America's threat on the Korean Peninsula, which they perceive as a regional threat to them, and perhaps um, to, you know, play some role in stabilizing their erratic friend in the north. Um, what, what do you think the Chinese are whispering into his ear en route to the U.S.? Yeah, well, there's a lot of questions about that and what the Chinese whispered into Kim Jong-un's ear in this last visit to Dalian. Um, you know, Ed talked about how uh, Trump would be able to claim victory if he'd pulled some of the troops, American troops, out from South Korea uh, and that they were able to, you know, draw down the forces there. You know who else wants that? the Chinese. The Chinese don't like having so many uh, American troops and American anti-missile batteries there in South Korea. So I think they would be very supportive of this process. I think China has kind of been, um, in some ways, was blindsided by this diplomatic process that took off this year. Uh, and in fact, they, you know, just to go back a little, when we talk about Trump and maximum pressure, I think maximum pressure really worked uh, towards the end of last year, not because North Korea was hurting so much, though it was, uh, but because the Chinese were freaking out that Trump may actually be serious about uh, military strikes on North Korea. So for China, the top priority has always been stability in North Korea. It didn't want anything to uh, destabilize the regime there. And all of a sudden, you know, the prospect of war became a lot worse than uh, in than instability there, which is the reason why the Chinese became a lot more enthusiastic about enforcing sanctions at the end of last year. So they thought they were on board this process, and then they were all of a sudden they appeared to be left behind with this um, detente that was happening with, between North Korea and South Korea. The you know talks about talks with the United States, and you know last year people here were talking about Korea passing that South Korea was going to be left behind 
behind in this process. And all of a sudden, people started talking about China passing, the idea that China, you know, was not involved in this. And Xi Jinping obviously picked up the phone and summoned Kim Jong-un to go visit him in March. And then he made that second visit in April because they want to be part of this process. They want to be whispering in Kim Kim Jong-un's ear and making sure that they have a say in this. So we don't know to what extent they, you know, they might be playing a spoiler a little bit here. There are some suggestions around that after that last visit to um, to, to Kim Jong-un's last visit to China. But uh, yeah, certainly they have inserted themselves into this process. Well, I think, you know, and, and just in the, you know, to play this sort of game out a little bit and, and you know, I wouldn't call it wild ass guesses, but it's speculation about the outcomes. Um, I think we we probably should stipulate that high on the list of possible outcomes is an end to the war in the Koreas, um, because that's very achievable, uh, and it would play to Trump's sense of history, um, and it really wouldn't be a lot of skin off anybody's nose. Um, I think then you have to get to the issue of the path to denuclearization, because it's not going to happen instantaneously. And obviously there it's going to be what looks like it's real and concrete and what do the North Koreans get for it and when. And it's a it's a sort of a timing issue. But it would be a lot easier for the North Koreans to do what Anna referred to earlier, and that is give up some nukes. And I think, by the way, giving up ICBMs is going to be, you know, the thing that Trump will push for, because that is related to the threat to the U.S., not going to be much loved by the Japanese but or the South Koreans, but but I think he'll push for that. But it would be easier for the North Koreans to do all of that if two things happen. A, they get some cash on the barrel head, you know, something soon that that Kim can go and, you know, um, uh, you know, sort of show to the people and say, look, we get this benefit. Um, but B, if there were some kind of security assurance, not just from the US, however, but that was also from the Chinese, which would then sort of suggest to the world that, you know, if anybody made a move against North Korea, they were also moving against the Chinese. Well, in that kind of situation, things are are somewhat different. Um, but, but it would seem to me that that's a kind of a direction they're going. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are. And that that seems. I mean, I think that's a far from wild, wild asked uh, or asked. Sorry, um, sort of direction to 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 um, sketch out. Thanks for yeah. translating that for our American listeners. I know. That's, you <laughs> I got it. Ass, 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 <laughs> or the other way around. Um, the, um, uh, the I think that's a you know that's a pretty plausible um, sketch of the way things will probably go. I, I, I think though, if you look at jilted um, sort of teenage lovers, uh, you know they go from writing corny love poems to you know writing dark gothic sort of I hate you poems without much um, sort of in between. And we know from Trump's pretty bipolar personality. Um, that he doesn't have much in between either. Uh, so, you know, if if Bolton and um, the uh, American national security apparatus really get their teeth into this verifiability um, 
um, project. Uh, and um, Kim is asked to uh, do things that are in excess or, or equivalent to what Iran agreed to in 2015, then Kim Jong-un's going to have a pretty tough time agreeing to this. If this really is a hard, enforceable verification process with, you know, nuclear um, payment up front, and sanctions relief later, um, then, you know, it's by no means a given in spite of Trump's desperation, uh, you know, to get a political win and a tweetable, um, uh, Nobel um, tweetable uh, victory out of this, that it's going to succeed. And and so, you know, my, my first fear is that Jilted Lover going to the deep, dark, gothic, I hate you poems um, in, in, in a beat. Because a disappointed Trump can be a vengeful, nasty, and very unpredictable Trump. Um, that, I, I still think, is the less likely scenario. I think you've sketched out the more likely one, David. Uh, the, the concern I have is not so much uh, for war in, uh, uh, in the Korean Peninsula. I think that likelihood's receding. I think it's that the gradual disengagement of America from the Asia Pacific, from its role um, uh, as as the upholder of uh, its network of alliances, Japan and South Korea foremost, um, Australia and others, of course, included, um, is accelerating under Trump. That the Korean Peninsula is going to fall into China's lap. That Japan is going to get more and more nervous, going to more and more want to hedge its bets, and that the sort of geopolitical trends that we already saw underway before Trump came to office are just being drastically accelerated by Trump. And the way he is going about this summit with North Korea, I think, underlines the concerns of America's allies that the United States is not this rock that it used to be, and that alliances are not what they used to be, and that we've got to just, we've got to just make preparations for a new kind of of world in which America isn't top dog. That's my concern. He's just accelerating that trend. Yeah, you know, Rosa, I, I think Ed has zeroed in on, on the point that's sort of been central in my concerns about this for, for many, many months, because I've always felt that the, while the, the, the threat of a nuclear war, you know, seemed front page news, it was in nobody's interest uh, and and still seemed uh, you know uh, kind of uh, uh, unlikely um, uh, in in the same way that a, a a major conflict on the Korean Peninsula has such a high cost that there's a lot of reasons for for both sides not to want to get engaged in it um, uh, and so you know solving that problem you know finding a different way to achieve stability than we have over the course of the past um, decades. Uh, you know, has some merit to be sure. Um, but there are bigger, broader issues here. And I think Trump can use this to play to his impulse to withdraw America as he is inclined to do in Europe, as he is inclined to do in places in the Middle East, as he is inclined, uh, as spoken about doing in, in Asia. Um, and, 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 you know, part of this retreat, which, of course, would be welcome in Beijing and in Moscow, um, but, but might not be in, 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 in America's interests. And, and I know that there was some pushback in the Pentagon when this stuff started getting talked about. Um, and I'm just wondering if it's a concern of yours in a kind of strategic sense. 
you know, I I am of two minds. As as an American, yes, it's a concern of mine. As an American, I selfishly would would find it more pleasant for myself and my offspring and my offspring's eventual offspring for there to be a world in which America continues to play a leading role and is able to shape the international order uh, in ways that are good for us. So from a selfish perspective, yes, I think it's a very bad thing. Um, what I do wonder, you know, listening to listening to Ed, listening to you, um, you know, taking off my I'm an American hat, uh, and David, you know, you and I are Americans, Ed, Ed, Ed and Anna are not, um, thinking about is it really worse for the world in the long run as opposed to in the short run if America does take a step back as it has been doing, as it as as Ed says under Trump, those trends are seeming to accelerate, you know, and, and there I'm, I'm less sure. You know, it's not completely clear to me that the citizens of the world, as opposed to the citizens of the United States of America, are worse off. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, if America ends up taking a backseat and becoming an empire that has declined and just kind of sits back and says, okay, the rest of you figure this out. We're too busy, you know, cannibalizing uh, ourselves here at home. Um, I don't know. I mean, and, and there I, I can certainly paint bad outcomes. Um, you know, I can paint, I can paint all kinds of bad outcomes for the world from an American retreat from leadership, but I can paint some better ones as well. So Anna, you know, in, in, in thinking about it in those terms, of course, one player that we haven't talked about here is, is the one that you are um, sitting in the lap of right now, and that is Japan. And they've been kind of uncomfortable with this whole thing, it seems, uh, despite, you know, uh, Abe's, uh, uh, you know, uh, status is the first person to launch the flattery campaign against Trump and his sense that they were having a great, you know, palsy relationship. Uh, I, I think from what I've read and from people I've talked to, they have a sense that they're not as consulted or in control of this process as they might have been before. And that makes them uncomfortable for some of the reasons we've just talked about. Um, and I'm wondering how they might react to this kind of drawdown or rebalancing on the part of the U.S. Um, that that we've just been talking about. Yeah, well, I think uh, that's very kind of diplomatic or euphemistic. I think that you said first. I think Japan is absolutely freaking out about what's going on here. Like this is uh, Shinzo Abe's kind of worst possible outcome. Like you said last year, he was on this flattery campaign. You know, serving Donald Trump burgers and taking him playing golf when he came to Japan to try and get in his good books, and now suddenly. You know, he has no influence whatsoever about this. He was fully on board with maximum pressure, you know, cheering every time Trump talked about that last year. And now the tables have absolutely turned. He is not being consulted on any of this. He does not support this. I mean, he's trying to pretend that he does. He's scrambled to suggest that he will be willing to talk about, um, about to talk to Kim Jong-un if the issue of Japanese citizens who were abducted by North Korea in the 70s and 80s is on the 
table. That's something that, you know, the, the North Koreans have shown absolutely no interest in dealing with. Uh, that's, you know, not not going to happen anytime soon for them. So, so Japan is suddenly scrambling, trying to catch up, trying to stay relevant, trying to bring Trump back to the hard line that he was espousing last year. So kind of we keep hearing Japanese saying this is not just about nuclear weapons. This is about chemical and biological weapons, too. Everything has to be included in this. Just today, we had another Japanese defense ministry photo of a um, of a Chinese tanker apparently refueling a North Korean ship at sea in contravention of sanctions. They're trying to show that North Korea is still cheating on this. North Korea cannot be trusted. And, you know, now the latest reports are that Abe will try to see Trump before he goes to the summit in uh, in Singapore. He's really trying to keep in his ear here and keep telling him, that, you know, these are bad guys. They can't be trusted. You know, stay the course, stay hard line. But, you know, as he's learned with Trump, Trump only listens to the last person person he's talked to. And so unless Abe is the last person he talks to before Singapore, that message is probably not going to stick. Okay. So, you know, we've only got like four minutes left in this uh, podcast, five minutes left in this particular podcast. Um, and, uh, and, you know, as is the case, as we do these things and record them, we record them in real time and run them a little bit later. News breaks as we're going. Um, and I think, you know, as we wrap this up, there is breaking news that is illustrative of just how improvisational this whole approach is, which is to say the White House has just announced 25 percent tech tariffs on $50 billion worth of Chinese tech goods um, with the amount to be announced next month, which is kind of a heavy slap at the Chinese right at the moment that they you know, have a vital role to play in this negotiation. Now, you could say, well, this shows American strength, but you could also say, did you have to do it now? And and what is the Chinese response back going to be? Um, and how does this play into the broader set of issues here? And Ed, you know, of course, there you are at the Financial Times. And I just thought maybe maybe a comment from you on this would be in order. Well, the uh, criticism of Trump for, um, you know, having focused all of America's actions hitherto on um, low value added goods or most of most of its actions on low value added goods in terms of its deficit with China, agricultural products like soya and sorghum and then things like steel, um, you know, is that this is classic Trump nostalgia um, economics that bears no uh, relationship to the real world. And the real challenge is uh, the, the forced transfer of technology to China um, from foreign companies that invest in China, uh, intellectual property theft and so forth. And so that's been a, a heavy critique of the Trump administration. Uh, a $50 billion worth of um, um, uh, tariffs on um, uh, Ch Chinese tech goods is, is not a huge dent um, in the the uh, either the bilateral trade relationship or more importantly in the investment regime because that's what we're really talking about here. So uh, I, you know I haven't had a chance to look at the details of this, but my my suspicion is that this is uh, Trump responding to his critics. It's it's it, it, all in the context of um, this apparent climb down. Well, not apparent. It's an actual climb down by Trump on the ZTE 
uh, situation, you know, whereby this this company that's flouted um, uh, sanctions on North Korea, on Iran, has been caught, um, uh, uh, agreed to pay fines, and then has broken those uh, rules. And the administration then announced it would be banned for seven years from buying um, any American semiconductor inputs, and th thereby you know, basically ending ending the company. Well, Xi Jinping just put a call in to Trump, um, you know, 10 days ago, and Trump completely climbs down. So the criticism that he's been getting on that, too, from um, across the spectrum, Republicans included, it has probably stung Trump a little. But, you know, without having looked at uh, the new actions on Chinese tech products, I, I, I suspect that's just very much a symbolic indication from the Trump administration and from Wilbur Ross's Commerce Secretary that, look, they haven't forgotten that the, the real game here is the 21st century economy and China's plans to dominate it. Yeah, well, that's true. It could also be a fig leaf to hot, go cover the ZTE thing and cover the Ivanka Trump um, uh, 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 trademarks that she's got and to uh, create the illusion of action. It's, it's unclear, but what it what is clear is that this is incoherent again, and that you've got all different kinds of things happening at once as we're moving towards this thing, which is now just a couple of weeks away. Rosa, having had this discussion and going through all of this, um, do you remain um, optimistic as, as, as you were earlier? David, how could I not be optimistic? Ivanka Trump has received a trademark from China uh, to sell her products, including baby blankets and Ivanka Trump branded bath mats in China. So all is well. Uh, the Chinese Chinese babies will be wrapped in Ivanka Trump blankets and Chinese people will not slip in the tub because they will have Ivanka Trump bath mats. So what's what's not to love? <laughs> and mirrors and Ivanka Trump mirrors, which is it's perfect. It's like mirror, mirror on the that wall. That is perfect. <laughs> Who, who's got the biggest conflict of interest of them all? Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> You've been working on that. <laughs> yeah, well, the cuff remark, of course, prepared days before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, that's a good place to end. Um, and uh, we're going to come back in our next episode a little bit later this week. We're going to talk about some other things um, here in Asia. Uh, but before um, uh, we get around to that, uh, news will happen and days must pass. But first, I want to thank you, Anna, for joining us. I want to thank you, Rosa, for joining us. I want to thank you, Ed, for joining us. And of course, I want to thank all of you deep state radio nerds out there. And I want to encourage you, you know, this. there is no reason not to be sending in um, uh, I, you know, ideas for future episodes or for mug or T-shirt copy or uh, other kinds of things like that in order to help you snag some of that great deep state swag, which is out there. Um, uh, as, 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 as a number of your listening friends have done, um, uh, as, 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 and as they do every week. So thanks to everybody. And we will see you and talk to you again very, very soon. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. 
Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.